Chapter Twenty Eight of the Apostle of Alaska: The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. Home again. Just a few days more than a year after leaving for England, Mr. Duncan returned to Metlakatla on the twenty-first of February, eighteen seventy-one if he had ever had any doubt of the affection with which the indians clung to him such doubt was very promptly dissipated by the manner in which he was received on his homecoming i prefer to let mr duncan describe it himself the news of my arrival at the mouth of the skeena river had travelled to metlakatla and on the following morning a large canoe arrived from there to fetch me home the happy crew whose hearts seemed brimful of joy at seeing me back gave me a very warm welcome I readily decided to leave the steamer and to proceed at once to Metlakatla with my Indian friends, who assured me that the village was in a great state of excitement at the prospect of my return. We were favored with a strong fair wind, and with two sails up, we dashed along merrily through a boiling sea. I now felt that I was indeed homeward bound. My happy friends, having nothing to do but watch the sails and sit still, could give free vent to their long pent-up feelings and so they poured out one piece of news after another in rapid succession and without regard to order or the changes their reports produced upon my feelings thus we had good and bad solemn and frivolous news all mixed indiscriminately on sighting the village in accordance with a preconcerted arrangement a flag was hoisted over our canoe as a signal to the villagers that i was on board very soon we could discern quite a number of flags flying over the village and indians hurrying towards the place of landing before we reached the beach large crowds had assembled to greet me on my stepping out of the canoe bang went a cannon and when fairly on my feet bang went another then some of the principal people stepped away from the groups and came forward hats off and saluted me warmly on my advancing the corps of constables discharged their muskets then all hats were doffed and a general rush to seize my hand ensued i was now hemmed in by the crowds of solemn faces many exhibiting intense emotion and eyes glistening with tears of joy in struggling my way to the mission house i had nearly overlooked the school children the dear little ones had been posted in order on one side and were standing in mute expectation of a recognition i patted a few on the head and then with my feelings almost overcome i pressed my way to my house how sweet it was to find myself again in my own little room and sweeter still to thank god for all his persevering care over me as numbers of the people were pressed into and crowding my house i ordered the church bell to be rung at once they hurried to the church and when i entered it it was filled such a sight after a minute's silence we joined in thanksgiving to god after which i addressed the assembly for about twenty minutes this concluded i set off accompanied by several leading christian men to visit the sick and very aged who i was told were anxiously begging to see me the scenes that followed were very affecting many assured me that they had constantly prayed to god to be spared to see me once again and god had answered their prayers and revived their hearts after much weeping on finishing my visits i made up doses of medicine for several of the sick and then sat down for a little refreshment again my house becoming crowded 
i sat down with about fifty for a general talk i gave them the special messages from christian friends which i had down in my notebook told them how much we were prayed for by many christians in england and scanned over the principal events of my voyage and doings in england we sat till midnight but even then the village was lighted up and the people all waiting to hear from the favoured fifty what i had communicated many did not go to bed at all but sat up all night talking over what they had heard such a brief account of my reception at metlakahtla i could but reflect on how different this was to the reception i had among the same people in eighteen fifty seven then they were all superstitiously afraid of me and regarded with dread suspicion my every act it was with feelings of fear and contempt they approached me to hear god's word and when i prayed among them i prayed alone none understood none responded now how things have changed love has taken the place of fear and light the place of darkness and hundreds are intelligently able and devoutly willing to join me in prayer and praise to almighty god to god be all the praise and glory any amount of work was now before him the spiritual part of course naturally first occupied his attention then there were the sick who needed medicine and advice again the constables urged upon him an examination and readjudication of the law cases which the council had settled temporarily and strangely enough there was only one of these cases in which mr duncan found it necessary to modify their rulings and decisions there were thirteen marriages to celebrate and then the new improvements were to be planned and laid out and started sixty men were set to work at once a rope walk was built also a building for the weaving enterprise a shop for the clog manufacturing a cooper's shop and a sash and door shop and soon the wheels of industry were humming in the little village of more especial interest to us is the weaving industry the women with their spinning wheels on which the mountain sheep's wool was spun have been immortalized in the illustration from a photograph taken by mr duncan on a nearby page a number of others were engaged at the looms fair wages were paid the workers and excellent work turned out a specialty was made of shawls which the older women always wore outside of the house i have examined some of these shawls now in the stock of the store at new metlakahtla and must acknowledge that the workmanship seems to me excellent it is claimed that they could not wear them out the ground for the magnificent new church building to be erected later on was after a while cleared and drained logs were cut and rafted to the mill for the heavy framework of this extensive building and soon the men in the sash and door shop found themselves busy preparing a stock not only for their church but also for the new buildings of the village for the people had on the advice of mr duncan determined to rebuild their village in a more substantial manner but it took time to accomplish all these improvements it was not until christmas eighteen seventy four that the splendid new church with a seating capacity of about twelve hundred could be dedicated to the master's use and the year eighteen seventy eight was well under way before mr duncan could report that the natives with a donation from him of sixty dollars for each house had replaced their old temporary dwellings with eighty-seven new substantial double houses of two stories each provided with windows chimneys and other civilized improvements the building lots each sixty by one hundred twenty had been laid out by him and were now neatly fenced in and contained flower and berry gardens in the front and vegetable gardens in the rear 
in short the little village commenced to assume the substantial and cosy appearance of a new england town the church at the cost of over twelve thousand dollars was erected wholly by voluntary contributions partly from the natives themselves and partly from personal friends and admirers of mr duncan the balance was provided from the profits of the trading enterprises of the village not one dollar of its cost was contributed from the funds of the church missionary society footnote in eighteen eighty five mr duncan showed that up to that time the total amount received by him in the way of donations from friends was less than six thousand dollars the total sum expended by him up to the same time for the erection of the splendid church edifice establishing industries plants and buildings village improvements roves wharves etc and in aid given to the natives in building their new dwellings was nearly thirty five thousand dollars a most marvellous result of a rare business capacity in a preacher End footnote. some time later was completed the building of the two-story schoolhouse containing a large auditorium with a seating capacity of about eight hundred at times when a large number of the people were away on fishing expeditions this room was used for church purposes that he had not one moment's rest all day and many a time if not all the time had to encroach upon the hours of the night in order to get his work out of the way will be apparent when we for a moment consider his varied occupations and duties preacher pastor schoolmaster doctor magistrate chief of police mayor manager of a store a sawmill and of half a dozen other manufacturing establishments church builder and architect bookkeeper gardener and adviser and arbiter of every little trouble and dispute arising between nine hundred to a thousand people only one degree removed from savagery indeed sufficient was all this to turn half a dozen heads if they did not sit as squarely on a pair of yorkshire shoulders as mr duncan's did it was not until november eighteen seventy three that mr duncan after his first removal to metlakahtla had any assistance in any part of this work worthy of the name at this time mr w h collison came from england as a schoolmaster he was accompanied by his worthy wife and they entered upon the discharge of their new and difficult duties with great ardor and zeal the girls school under mrs collison's management especially attained new life and the fruits of this part of the work became promptly apparent they continued as mr duncan's trusted assistants at metlakahtla to a great extent relieving him of his duties as schoolmaster at least until the year eighteen seventy six when they were in their turn relieved by mr and mrs h shute who had been sent out in order to allow the collisons to take up missionary work among the haidas at masset on graham island the largest of the group of the queen charlotte islands where they were permitted to see very gratifying fruits of a work extending over the greater part of three years mr and mrs shute continued their work at metlakahtla for several years mrs shute was a conscientious and painstaking woman for whom mr duncan has nothing but praise her husband does not however seem to have been of any particular benefit the picture of the beautiful christian tone which the life of the natives attained under the spiritual administration of mr duncan would not be complete without giving a little pen sketch from the hand of the venerable archdeacon woods from victoria who in the year eighteen seventy one visited the christian settlements of metlakahtla and kincoleth 
he describes what took place on his trip up to nass river whither he went in a canoe manned by metlakahtla indians having paddled from daylight till dusk with a brief rest of about half an hour we reached the only available camping ground on the coast where we rested for the night under such shelter as the canoe sail stretched across the mass could afford and having lighted a fire i prepared supper mr duncan had provided me with food ready cooked so my supper was soon made and i laid down to rest wearied with sitting all day in the canoe the indians cooked their venison and salmon indian fashion and then all reverently taking off their caps one said grace with every appearance of devotion after supper i was amused at the evident fun that was going on amongst them for though i could not understand their language a laugh is understood all over the world by and by as i was dropping to sleep i was aroused by their sudden stillness my first impression was that they were getting wearied but it was not so they were only calming down before retiring for rest and soon i observed them all with their heads uncovered and reverently bowed kneel around the campfire while one said prayers for all and as the lord's prayer for i could recognize it in the strange language in which it was clothed ascended from beneath the shades of the forest from lips which only lately had acquired the right to say our father i could not fail to realize how grandly catholic is that prayer which he himself gave to those to whom alone he gives the right to use it it is only natural that mr duncan in his work should come into serious contact with the heathen indians surrounding metlakahtla on the question of slavery which we have seen was practiced to a great extent among the indians of the coast it goes without saying that no slaves were allowed to be kept in bondage at metlakahtla the christ had of course made them all free but this was not sufficient for mr duncan or his christian natives they considered it their christian duty to help free from bondage any slaves belonging to neighboring indians whom they could reach for the purpose of purchasing slaves their freedom the sum of five thousand dollars was from time to time set aside from the profits of the trading establishments and the greater portion of it used whenever any slaves reached metlakahtla it meant freedom forever no cruel master was allowed to reclaim them from that city of christian freedom to what extent metlakahtla became to these poor slaves all over alaska and british columbia a city of refuge will be apparent from the following penned by mr duncan in the year eighteen seventy six a poor slave woman still young in years who had been stolen away when a child and carried to distant tribes in alaska territory where she had suffered many cruelties fled from her oppressors last summer and though ill at the time took to the sea in a canoe all alone and determined to reach metlakahtla or perish in the attempt on her way she had upwards of one hundred and fifty miles to travel she was seen and taken by a party of fort simpson indians who would no doubt have been glad to hand her back to her pursuers for gain but on hearing of her case i demanded her freedom and finally she was received into a christian family here and tenderly cared for both the man and his wife who received her into their home had themselves been slaves years ago they understood her language sympathized deeply with her and labored hard to impart to her the knowledge of the savior of sinners after three months her cruel master with his party came here to recapture her but they had to return home unsuccessful in three months more her strength succumbed to the disease which had been brought on her by cruelty and hardship 
she was a great sufferer during the last few weeks of her life but she died expressing her faith in the saviour and rejoicing that she had been led here to end her days end of chapter twenty eight